Good morning, everyone. Uh, back again, and uh, as different as it, this is, uh, you don't really, I mean, I see it day to day, but you don't really get used to talking into a camera, but this is something that we have to do now. And uh, before I get started, I did promise my little girl I would say hi to her. So uh, hi, Raylin. Hope you're being good for mom. Uh, so get started. What I would like to do this morning is ask how many of you have been fishing before, but I don't really have anyone here to ask. So all I have really, I can see Steve Dodd in the background and some other people, you know, making sure everything runs smoothly. So because we're in Newfoundland, I'm going to assume, I hope safely, that all of us have been fishing in some aspect before. Whether you're fished off a boat or the government wharf, uh, whether you've caught a cod or a sculpin or some other kind of fish, we've all felt like it was like to have something on the other end of that line. And you could be fishing for hours and hours and not have anything. But when you feel that tug, there's nothing quite like it. Your, your heart starts to pound and you get excited because no matter what's on, because you know something's on the other end. You're going to wrestle that and get that to the top. But there's another thing that follows you back. If it's not just a fish, it's stories, and you can come back, and either you've caught someone more than someone else, or you've caught a fish, you know, like so big, and it got away, or maybe you were just fishing off the wrong side of the boat, or you used the wrong rod or lure. And another thing that happens is you bring back pictures, and don't think I don't know what people do with pictures either. You, you get this fish and you hold it, you don't hold it right up against your body because it's going to look smaller. You hold it slightly out from your body and towards the camera so it looks bigger. We all have our stories. And I brought fishing because, you know, that's, that's a common thing we like to tell stories about is fishing. And the story I'm going to tell you today is probably one of the most famous ones of all. But I want you to know it's more than just a Sunday school story. I'm going to tell, begin the book of Jonah and I'm very excited about this. I've never actually done a study on a book before. And uh, it's different also to preaching from narrative. But again, I want us to see that this is more than just a Sunday school story that we've been told over and over. There's so much richness and depth to the book of Jonah. So Jonah, if you're not sure, is found in the Minor Prophets right between Obadiah and Micah. It's a smaller book, only about four chapters. And it's been the inspiration behind a lot of stories. For instance, uh, Disney's adaptation of Pinocchio, instead of having them swallowed by a monster dogfish, as is in the book, they're swallowed by a monster or a whale. And like any book of the Bible, Jonah has its own challenges for interpreting it. Many people would like to say Jonah is not actual history, but that's allegory, meaning that it's just a story meant to teach us some good lessons. And that there are great lessons in the book of Jonah. They use arguments like the word great in, in Jonah is used 15 times. And they have trouble with the fact that a man could be swallowed by a fish and survive for three days somehow in its, in its belly. And they also have in issues with how long it describes it takes to walk through the city of Nineveh. Now, some of these we'll deal with later, but there are also a number of reasons why we should take Jonah to be actual history. One of those is, is that the argument for the word great being used doesn't mean that this is a great, fantastical story, but simply that God is at work doing something great here and that we should take note of what God is doing. 
And in regards to a man being swallowed by a fish, I mean, if we can believe in a God who can make a donkey talk, who can close the lion's mouths, and who can rescue three men from a fiery furnace, I, I think we can stretch it a bit more, maybe believe that God could possibly keep a man alive in the, in the belly of a fish for three days. Now, there's also evidence from the Bible itself and other books. Second uh, Kings 14, verse 25, Jonah is mentioned as being a prophet. He's an actual person. And Jesus also mentions, mentions, Jesus, mentions uh, Jesus also pays reference to Jonah in the New Testament. Both Matthew and Luke describe the scene where Jesus says the following to some Pharisees and scribes. He says, The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So if Jesus, you know, our Lord and Savior, God in the flesh, referenced Nineveh and the Ninevites, and this, this very instance in the book of Jonah, as, as a real flesh and blood thing, then surely we can take it to be fact. There's no reason for us to think that Jesus would, I, I don't see why he would reference a fictional people, a fictional stories to try and bring, ju- to bring conviction on the Pharisees. It, it wouldn't make sense. So let me give you some background here to Jonah and what we're about to enter into uh, the time period, see, the nation of Israel had continually done what, what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. And if you go through Second Kings, First Kings, that's, that's a very typical statement. You'll see, you know, this king reigned for so long. He did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. It goes on and tells a story and, you know, where the rest of their acts are recorded to. Jeroboam II is the one who it's referenced to that Jonah is a prophet to. Now, it mentions specifically that Jeroboam II did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam. So I took some time and I went back, and it roughly seems like between Jeroboam I, who reigned after Solomon, he, he led people directly astray to idol worship. He purposefully did, did this. There are roughly 159 years between Jeroboam and Jeroboam II. So this means that up to this point, there had at least been 159 years of Israel serving other gods. So like I said, we can assume that Jonah occurs sometime within the 41 years of Jeroboam II's reign, meaning that their evil went beyond 159 years. And it's at this point that God determines to teach Israel a very important lesson by sending his prophet Jonah to a pagan nation a lesson that I hope will become very apparent as, as we study this book together. So I want to look at our passage this morning, Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee the Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, went down, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Now, if you can, I ask that we try not look too far forward in this story. Again, mo- many of us are very familiar with the story of Jonah. 
and we can get ahead of ourselves and want to jump ahead. But I'd like us to stay where we are right now in these first three verses. Here's a prophet, a man who has been charged with delivering a direct message from God to the people. Now, usually a prophet from God would be called to give messages to the nation of Israel. But Jonah, he's the only prophet called to go to a pagan nation. And not only is Nineveh part of a pagan nation, it's part of the Assyrian nation and they're enemies of Israel. So Jonah is called to give a message to his enemies. The Assyrians were known to be utterly vicious in their battles with other nations. When they would conquer someone, they would do horrendous things to these people. And it's very well documented. And although I don't think it's a primary reason for why Jonah ran, I think it's definitely for one of the reasons for why he did not want to go and to give them a message. These people were evil. They did horrendous things. They were the, they were the enemies of God's people. And Jonah did not want to go to them. And you might ask, you might not be sure, you might be asking, why didn't Jonah go? And you might know what Jonah says, but we don't get that in chapter 4. So again, we're left with what this, what this little passage has given us. But what we do know is that our God is a patient God, and he bears with our sin and evil for our time, for our benefit, before he enacts judgment. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 rings true here. It says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God is patient. He's enduring our sins against him for a time so that we have an opportunity to come to him and repent. If God were to fulfill his promises now, then that means that the people who don't believe in him, they, their evil would be brought against them now. Judgment would be brought now and they would be unable to repent. So the first, verse, first two verses here, again, they say, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Arise, Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. And I want to take note of a very simple thing here, that God called Jonah to, to go and preach. So the first thing I want you to take this morning is that God calls. We all have a calling from God. And when we talk about God's calling, we often just limit that to our job or our vocation, what we want to do for the rest of our lives. But a calling is so much more than that. Just like God called Jonah to be a prophet to both Jeroboam II and Nineveh, he can call us to a, number, a, different, a number of different events in our lives. Our calling is more than just what we work at for the rest of our lives. And Jesus in the New Testament actually gives Christians a pretty direct calling for their lives. You see, God is more concerned about the people and their spiritual welfare than he is really concerned about what we do day to day for our jobs. Matthew 28, 18 and 19 should be a familiar passage. It says, And Jesus came to them and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells his disciples and us to go and make disciples of all nations. God 
told Jonah to go and preach and call it the evil of Nineveh. So where God was calling Jonah to preach to just one single pagan nation, Jesus calls us to preach to and make disciples of all the nations. Now you may be sitting out there and you, you could have a lot of questions about this, but what this calling looks like now. You may have lost your job in this pandemic and you might, really not, you might not really know what the future holds. You might have graduated and not really feel like it from high school and you might not either know what you want to do with the rest of your life or you might not even know what post-secondary is going to look like since they announced that classes are likely to be online for the fall. Or maybe you're even just a child still and you have these big dreams of being a doctor or a teacher or a nurse. But wherever you find yourselves, I want you to know that we have a call to tell people about Jesus. There's a greater calling for us to preach the gospel and to let people know about who Jesus is and what this good news is. And it's okay if we're unsure about this. It's okay if we're unsure about what the future holds. We can leave that in God's hands. In the meantime, this is not a time for us to grow complacent, for we are called to go to all nations and to teach them what Jesus has said, to tell them about the good news. Jonah may not have wanted to go and preach to Israel's enemies. And from our perspective, if we had to go and tell the good news to people that we absolutely hated, who had done horrible things to us, from our perspective, he had probably some good reasons to run. But we don't get to accept, we don't get to pick and choose who accepts Christ. We don't get to pick and choose who we tell the good news to or who, who can and cannot be discipled. See, we have a responsibility to answer God's call on our lives. It is our responsibility to respond to God and to be available for him to use. This isn't about us per se, but it's about the work that God wants to do through us in his calling on us. It can be easy for us to look down on Jonah but we have to remember, he was only called to one nation. Jesus calls us to all the nations. You know that awkward kid who sits alone at lunch, doesn't do well with social cues? They need Jesus. You know that person who walks down the street, their teeth are yellow, their fingertips are yellow from so many years of smoking? They need Jesus. That person who cut you off when you were driving or maybe even flipped you off, they need Jesus. And that Muslim or refugee family down the street from you, they need Jesus. They need Jesus just as much as anyone else, just as much as, as the wealthy or the middle class. They need Jesus just as much as our friends, as our children, and as our parents. We have all been like Jonah at some point, and we tried to preach to one group over another. And I just want to show you here that Jonah isn't just some really bad guy, some really bad prophet who's running, because we've all kind of done the same. There are certain groups of people that we're comfortable around that we would rather speak to over others. When Pastor Steve and I were at Rabbit Town for Mother's Day, We've seen a variety of people come through. It was no trouble to tell who was on a social assistance. 
whose family was made up of different members, meaning maybe children from different fathers, different parents. There are people who come through, like I said, with yellow teeth, yellow fingertips from years of smoking. There were people who came through with old clothes, full of tattoos, stringy hair. They all need Jesus, regardless of their appearance, of their social standing, of their race, whatever it may be, they they still need Jesus. And it doesn't disqualify them from hearing the gospel just because we're not comfortable around them as we are just around our, our friends. If you're listening now, and you don't follow Jesus, I want you to know, as I said earlier, God is patient. He's waiting. You can respond to him now. You can accept him for who he is as Lord and Savior. You can repent of your sins, and he will be faithful to forgive you. If you're out there and you've, you've been running away, you haven't been overly obedient, now is your time as well to respond to him. We've been living in isolation now for weeks. And for the, for the most part, it's become our new normal. We've adjusted to how this looks. We've started to probably adjust to doing church this way, as different as it is and as sad as it is not to be together. And we wait for our restrictions to get lighter and lighter as they were just lifted earlier the week. But I want to challenge you and myself, as I said earlier, not to be complacent. Now is not the time for us to sit around and just to focus on ourselves and our new schedules. Now is the time for us to tell people about Jesus. They need his hope, they need his peace, and they need his salvation in this time. He's calling us to preach the gospel to whomever we can. God calls us. He's calling you, and he's calling me to tell people about his good news. He's calling men and women, teenager and child, to simply tell people about Jesus, who he is and what he's done. Again, we should not and we cannot choose who we think should get into heaven, who we think should be a Christian. We can't choose that. Just as Jonah's calling was uncomfortable and unpleasant, ours often will be too. And it will probably take us to unpleasant and uncomfortable places. But we need to remember that Jesus didn't say to make disciples of people we enjoy to be around. He didn't say to make disciples of the people in your social cliques at school. And he didn't say to make disciples of the people who can only afford to pay their bills. Jesus said to make disciples of all nations. And that's the calling that God has placed on all of our lives. And you might be listening, you might be thinking, man, I'm not equipped for this. I'm not able to do this. I don't feel ready to do this. And that's you, my point, my next point is for you. And although this this isn't necessarily found in Jonah, it is a very important point. God not only calls, but God equips us You see, again, I have no doubt that some of us feel ill-equipped for the task ahead of us. We wonder oftentimes if God can use us, if we have the ability for God to use us. But I want you to know that there is an equipping inside of of, of God's calling. 
And I'm going to bring us back again to Matthew 28, because I want to read the, read out the rest of that passage to show you. Again, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And get this, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus himself says that he's with us always. We're not alone in this. And look at the group he was talking to. We have Peter who denied him three times. We have Thomas who doubted that he had even risen from the dead. And then we have James and John who wanted to call down fire to wipe out a village in Samaria. These guys weren't all-stars. They likely didn't feel equipped at times as well. But they were the people that Jesus chose. We're not alone in feeling like we're ill-equipped, but we need to realize what the Bible says and what Jesus says, that he is with us. And not only is he with us, but he sent us the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14, in, in this chapter, Jesus says the following, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. And he says, But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your, to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And again, Luke records the baptism of the Holy Spirit as famously in Acts chapter 2 on the day of the Pentecost. But earlier in Acts chapter 1 in verses 4 to 5, he records Jesus again promising the Holy Spirit. It says, And while, they were, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait from the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. As Christians, we have a calling from God to go out and preach to all nations. And as Christians, we have been quit by God for this very task from, by the Holy Spirit. If you feel like you're, you you haven't been discipled yourself, so you don't know how to disciple others. Or maybe you feel like you just don't know as much about Scripture as other people. That's okay. Because one, Jesus is not limited by you and how he can use you. And two, there's always room for growth. And if you feel that way, then I, f I urge you to grow more in your faith by becoming more devoted to your devotions and your study of Scripture. Become more serious about your church and your discipling processes. And trust in the Holy Spirit that God has given you so that you, and know that you cannot stand in the way of God. You see, the Holy Spirit has been given to us is for our empowerment. A very simple and famous Example, again, is Peter before and after the day of Pentecost when he was baptized. Again, this man denied Jesus three times. And then after receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is for our empowerment, he speaks to a front of thousands and thousands of people. And then 3,000 come to faith. If God can use a prophet who runs away and a man who has denied him three times, then he can use you. And I'm going to tell you, I've felt that way before. And I, there are days I still feel that way. 
But we need to remember that we are actually inadequate in our own power and that we do need God to strengthen us, to equip us for the task ahead. Every time I get up here to preach, I'm shaking down to my knees. And I say a simple prayer wherever I come up because I know it's not in my strength, but I need God. And I'm not the only one that gets nervous. I know some of the other guys that preach before, before they come up, they're nervous too. We feel inadequate, but we rely in the power that God has given us and, the, and how he's equipped us. The fact is that God has called you to go out and tell people about Jesus, and he's also equipped you for that task. As we grow as Christians, we can grow more confident in who God is and how he has equipped us, that this is not about us. This is about him. This is not about how great you are with words, how talented you are. This is about God working through you for his glory. And I want to take a second here and say that maybe some of you are feeling a tug or urge to go into full-time ministry. Maybe you're feeling that call to be a pastor, but you don't really feel like you're cut out for it. This calling is a great thing, and I really, really encourage you to look further into that. Don't run from it. Talk to your elders about it. Again, we have a responsibility as Christians to be faithful in the calling that God has given us, even the calling of our vocation, our our job. And if you feel like God may be calling you into ministry, explore that. Reach out to your elders because it's such a great and wonderful calling, such a great responsibility. And this brings me to my third point, one that I've kind of referenced a bit on and off, and we can see this basically in verse 3. But I want you to remember, God calls, God equips, and the last part is that man responds. I want to ask you, how are you responding to God's call in your life? Whether that be your job, or would that be the much broader calling of teaching people about Jesus, telling them about who he is? How did Jonah respond? Well, verse 3 says, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. God says, Arise and go. But Jonah rose and fled. He got the get up part, but he chose to go exactly the opposite way, away from God. Jonah ran. And I'll tell you a bit about my story. I also ran from my own calling into ministry. See, while I was in high school, I was very involved in our youth group, and I loved it. Part of our executive team, our youth leadership team. And I loved being involved in our church, and I couldn't really think of anything else I wanted to do. So when the time came for me to figure out what I wanted to do for the rest of my life, well, my first instinct was maybe a youth pastor, but then I thought, no, I'm way too shy for that. You see, at that point, I wouldn't even go up and talk to a cashier. I hated it. And there was even a point at one of a party, we were at a party for Sabrina's grandparents, their anniversary. And there was a table here, and there were people here. And I was too shy and afraid to ask, to even say excuse me to these people. 
So I actually crawled under the table to get around them. That's how shy I was. So I thought, nope, can't be a pastor, can't do this. I'll figure out something else to do. So I thought, what else am I good at? Well, people told me I was good at writing and taking pictures. So I thought, maybe journalism. So off I went to Stephenville, to College of North Atlantic. That's where the journalism program was at the time. And I did two years, except I failed one course, which is an elective. And that was pretty rough. So I thought, what now? Business came up. I thought, well, maybe I can supplement a course from this business program for, one, for the elective I failed in my journalism program. Now I have two diplomas, and I could use them to go into communications in the government, writing news releases and, and stuff. So I applied for that, got accepted for that program, but it was a summer in between my journalism program and the business program that God started bringing the idea of ministry back to my mind. And when it came back, I actually stopped and I said, okay, God, you're not doing this to me again. And the thoughts wouldn't go away. So I said, I made a deal with God. I said, I'll pray about it for a week and see what happens. Now, I thought to myself that by the end of the week, these thoughts would go away and I would just go on with with my life, whatever I was going to do. But I lasted three days praying. And I broke down crying in my living room because God broke my heart for the youth and for the people of this province who don't know the hope that we hold. So it was then that I stopped running and I answered God's call. Now again, this isn't primarily based on us, but as Christians, we do have a responsibility to respond to God's calling. This is less about our ability and more about our availability. And are you available for God to work through you? See, Jonah ran as far away as he possibly could. He was heading as far west as he could in, that, in the known world at that time. He was called and he was fully equipped, but he was not willing and he did whatever he could to make himself not available to God. And that's a tragedy. Because you see here, we have a child of God, equipped by God, but unwilling to follow the call of God. And it might seem confusing. You might be asking yourself, why would a prophet even try to run from God? Shouldn't he have known that God was everywhere? God's omnipresent. But I actually don't think John was running from, uh, Jonah, sorry, was running from God himself, but he was running from God's calling. He didn't want to be a part of what God was doing, so he figured he would run away as far as he could. The phrase as mentioned twice there, the Lord's presence, can actually mean the face of the Lord or even the Lord's land. And I believe that Jonah was trying to escape the land that God was focused on, where Jehovah was present. See, Jonah knew that God was everywhere and that he couldn't actually escape the actual presence of God because further down in this chapter in verse 9, and I'll give you a sneak peek, Jonah tells the sailors that the God he serves is a God of land and sea. Most pagan gods were God of, you know, something, either one thing, whether it's on land or sea. Jonah is basically saying to the sailors, my God is not limited by land or sea. He's over all of it. So Jonah admits that he knows God is, uh, is everywhere. But yet he's saying he's running from them. Jonah is running 
from his calling. He didn't want to answer God's call to go preach to Nineveh. So he figured that maybe, just maybe, if he ran away, that God couldn't possibly use him or Maybe he thought that God would have to find someone else or God would just have to give up on what he wanted to do. And we can often do the same thing. If, we, if there's something that God wants us to do and we're not comfortable with it, there are often times that we'll avoid it. And then we'll start to avoid what reminds us of God and that calling, he's asked, whatever he's asking us to do. We'll start avoiding church. We'll start avoiding other Christians Maybe stop answering calls, texts, emails, all because we don't want to answer God's calling on our lives. And we can be so quick to throw others under the bus or in Jonah's case, under the boat. It's actually pretty self-righteous of us to point our fingers at Jonah and call out his faults without looking at our own. And I'm pretty sure Jesus said something about that that if you're going to look at the speck in your brother's eye, make sure to take the plank out of your own eye first. It's so easy to sometimes throw Jonah down to the dirt when without realizing that maybe we've kind of done the same things. So let me ask you, how are you responding to God's call? Are you running away or are you answering that call? This story isn't about Jonah but it's about how God wants to work. Just like our stories aren't necessarily about us, but how God can use us and how he's working through us. You see, there are two options. We can respond to God's calling positively or negatively. And there are actually two examples of this involving this seaport, Joppa. Jonah went down to Joppa in disobedience to escape from God's calling. Peter, in the New Testament, later left Joppa in obedience to, to preach to the Gentiles. Acts 10 tells us the story of how Peter came to preach to the house of Cornelius. And in, after preaching to him, he seemed to baptize the Holy Spirit. But Peter isn't exactly the hero of this story. Because although Peter responded positively, it took some convincing from God to get him to that point. God had given him a dream and a, a great sheet or tarp had come down from Peter, and there were all kinds of animals on there, and there were unclean animals there. And the Lord said to Peter, you know, get up and eat. And Peter said, no, Lord, you know I've never eaten anything unclean. And then God says, don't call what is unclean what God has made clean or common in the ESV. And this repeats itself three times. And when the dream is over, Peter still isn't completely sure what his dream means until he's called to go to the house of Cornelius. See, even Peter needed to be convinced to go. And although Jonah needed a bit more convincing, we need to admit that we often need convincing ourselves. But we do have a responsibility to be obedient to God's calling. And obedience here is key. We might find our calling hard to swallow, but obedience to God is the best thing that we can actually do. And we have to realize that even Jesus submitted and was obedient. Philippians 2 tells us about the obedience of Christ in submitting to the Father. And if the one that we serve, the one that we give our life to, if Christ could humble himself in obedience to the Father, 
coming to earth as a baby, emptying himself of his deity and dying a criminal's death on the cross, then surely we can be obedient in his calling on our lives. Our Lord himself was obedient and served others, so I don't really think that we can think that we are exempt from God's calling. So our calling doesn't really depend on us, nor does the ability to fulfill the call, for God is one that calls and God is one that equips us. What does lie in us is how we respond to God. God pursued Jonah, and he ended up going to Nineveh in the end. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't think of how we are responding to God. Are we making excuses? And Moses comes to mind. Moses made excuse after excuse after excuse to God. And God kept coming back to him with answer after answer after answer, saying, I'm going to use you. Are we afraid? Do we, do we feel ill-equipped? There are so many questions that could be running through your head right now. But again, what ultimately matters is how we respond to God. And I'll say it again, it's not about our ability, but more about our availability. So will you answer his call to go to all nations and make disciples? Or will you try to ignore him? If you're not a Christian, will you answer God's call to come to him in repentance? That Jesus is, is the Son of God. He was God in the flesh, that he died for our sins, taking on the wrath of God for our benefit so that we could be saved. Will you accept that call? And we need to realize that this city, our city, has its own sin before God, just like Nineveh had its sin before God. We step outside our doors and we are in the mission field. There are so many people that don't know Jesus. And I've come across a couple articles already, and we've talked here in the offices about. Our city is second in the country for registrations for the affair site, Ashley Madison. And if you're not sure what that is, it's literally a website where you go to sign up to find someone to cheat on your spouse with. And our city is second in registrations in the country. There are also landlords in our city who are making sexual offers to their tenants in exchange for a discount on rent. This is happening right here. This is our city where this is happening, right outside our doors. Not only that, but we've had a huge increase in calls to, for domestic violence since this pandemic, and there's no doubt that after this, marriages will suffer and we will likely see a rise in the divorce rate. This city, our city, it needs the gospel. It needs to be told about Jesus. It needs to repent of its sins, and we, we are the ones called to tell them about the good news of Christ. So stop running. Stop making excuses. Answer the call of God and let's see our city, this province, this, this country change. Not because of us, but because God has called us and he has equipped us for this work already. So stop running and let God use you for his glory. 
Jonah ran as far as he could. And you could run from God for years and years, and it still wouldn't be too late to answer that call. How we respond to God's call tells of our view of him. You'll never have too much talent that God doesn't need you or that you don't need God. And you'll never have so little talent that God can't use you. Again, if you're not a Christian, I plead with you that you, you respond to God's call on your life to repent and to accept him as your Lord and Savior. God is calling for your repentance, patiently waiting, enduring our sins so that we can come to him. Now is the time to respond. Christians, answer your call. If he can use a prophet, someone who hears directly from God and then ran away, then why couldn't he use you? Answer this call. We have a responsibility to be obedient to God and his calling on our lives. We are in a world that has been turned upside down. People have lost their jobs. Patience is growing thin. And people are getting more and more frustrated, angry, and even afraid. There are people who are terrified to go outside their doors. People who are frustrated with their governments, thinking that this should all be going faster, moving ahead. And there are people who are getting angry. They're getting angry quicker because they don't have that social interaction. We don't know what the future holds, but we serve the one who does. What we do know is that there are people out there right now who need to know who Jesus is. There are people right outside our doors who may have never heard the gospel before, and that's where we need to start. And I'm, I'm not preaching at you this morning because even in my own life, I don't know my neighbors that well. I don't know their stories. I know there's a refugee family across the road from us, and I got a chance to talk to them a couple times last summer, but that was it. And I know there are a couple families down the, down the ways from us and in the cul-de-sac behind us, but again, I don't know them that well. And I need to go to them. I need to bring Jesus to them. Things might have slowed down and in this pandemic and a big wrench was thrown in our plans, but that's not the time to grow complacent. That doesn't stop the need for people to know who Jesus is. Whether you're in elementary school, you're in high school, university, you're in the workforce or you're retired, this is something that we can all do. We can all tell someone about Jesus. We can be a witness in this time of turmoil. Kids, if you're listening, you can tell people about why you love church and why you love Jesus. Teens, you can example Christ in being faithful with your schoolwork right now, as hard as that might be. And when you get back to classes, take a stand for the lonely and bullied. And adults, you can tell people you aren't, why you aren't anxious or really afraid during this time because of who you trust in. And we can all treat essential workers with respect and maybe even offer 
you know, who knows, to pray for them. This is the time for us to be active. It's the time for us to respond positively to God's call. And again, it's not about your ability. It doesn't matter if you're great with words. It doesn't matter if you feel like people don't like you that much. God is still calling you to do his work. God calls, God equips, and we need to respond. So how will you respond? Let me pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord. Again, thank you for this technology, and thank you that our restrictions are getting lighter, oh God, and that we are able to interact with just a few more people than usual, God. Lord, I pray that this message would take root in my own heart just as I pray it would take root in the hearts of the peoples, God. That when we step outside today or tomorrow, Lord, that we would see people who are in need of you and that we would look for those opportunities, Lord, to just be active in their lives and to tell them about who you are and what you've done. Maybe the next time we're at a grocery store, we can ask the cashier how they're doing, like how are they really doing? offer to pray with them, and maybe even share why we are anxious ourselves. Lord, and for those that are struggling with the call to ministry, oh Lord, I pray that you would just guide and direct them in that, that they would hear your voice clearly in that direction. And for those that are wondering what the future holds, oh Lord, in that calling, I pray for your peace upon them, oh Lord, and for your direction, God, and that they will be able to discern your will. But God, in the meantime, may we not grow complacent in telling others about you and the great and rich things that you have done for us, that you have accomplished for us. May we take a note from Jonah and realize maybe the people that we've ostracized, the people that we've tried to avoid. And God, may we repent before you and just ask, ask you to work again and our hearts are new. God, give us your eyes and help us to see the people who are in need and how you see them, Lord. I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.